Welcome to this week's podcast from the Eucliping Church. We hope you enjoy this message. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. We were worshiping. The Lord brought back to my mind something my dad used to do that would irritate my mom. You know, as... In the early days, my dad's ministry was located mostly on the East Coast, and so when we would go to his revivals, we would drive. And inevitably, on the way to one of those tent meetings, we would go through a storm. And I'm not just talking about a little bit of rain. I'm talking about one of those belly washers. And... I remember sitting in the back seat, my mother on the right side of the, the front of the car, my dad driving, and everybody on the road was pulling over to the side and stopping. And my dad kept driving and kept going. Yes, he had to slow down a little bit, but he kept going. And my mother would say, Bob, you need to stop. You need to pull over. Just for a little bit. He said, no, mother, we're going forward. These people could be sitting in this rain for an hour, but I know there's sun on the other side of that cloud. We're going to keep going. And sure enough, every single time, it might have been five minutes, it might have been ten minutes, but as a little child, I remember noticing the time when we came out from underneath that cloud and the sun was shining. And it's such a spiritual lesson because sometimes when it gets dark and the winds begin to blow and the headwind is strong, we have a tendency to want to sit down. But this is not the sitting down season. This is the time for us to keep going. Even if it's going into the headwind, we are making forward advance. Sometimes it may feel we're being pushed backwards, but we keep going because we're not of those who shrink back. And so when the the Holy Ghost comes on your pastor and begins to tell him it's time for a holy roar, It's time to shake out of complacency. That's not just something we do to fill time in a service. But what we're learning are strategies. Strategies of how when we leave this building, we begin to deal with the heaviness of an atmosphere at home. Doing just exactly what we do. Get up and roar. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Sing songs of Zion. Sing songs of praise. Amen? Now, I have to tell you something. You Texans know better than I, but when I first moved to Texas from New York, I was a pretty brave person. I pioneered a Christian school in the Bronx at age 28. But when I came to Texas, y'all put fear in me with your tornadoes. I was oblivious to what the power of those tornadoes until one of them almost took my house out. And I remember being awakened at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I called my mother and I said, 
Mom, I just heard the sound of a train. Is there some kind of a tornado warning? She said, get in the bathtub now. And I got in the bathtub with a pillow, and I was praying in the Holy Ghost until I felt something shift. Everything got quiet, and I knew the storm had passed over. And I have seen since that time so many of the, of the storms. They can be really scary things. The winds that blow, that front that comes through, the limbs that go flying, the lightning strikes. I've never seen lightning like I've seen it in Texas. But when I got up in the morning, it's just like nothing ever happened. It seems like the birds are singing a new song. It seems like there's a sweet smell in the air. The temperature oftentimes drops a few degrees. There's a new coolness. There's a new freshness. And normally our storms come in the spring. Why? Because God is watering on earth so something of new life can begin to spring up. And I want to encourage each one of you tonight. Some of you have been through a Texas-sized storm in the spirit. But I want you to get ready because the front has already moved. It's already moving. And when you break through this thing in the power of the Holy Spirit, there's coming a newness. There will be a sweet smell. You will sing the songs of praise as you've never sung them before. And it's a new season of harvest. Are you hearing me? If you believe it, stand to your feet and lift your hands. And I want you to just partner with that with your mouth and just begin to thank him for the new seasons that's coming. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you're setting our sights on the harvest. You're setting our sights on what you're doing. Lord, we recognize that sometimes you are in the storm because that's how you change things. Lord, you break through complacency. You break through tradition. You break through every statue and every uh, monument that man has erected to himself. And yet you show us that you are God and you are God all by yourself. And what's going to happen in this season? is not a move of man but a move of God himself and we declare it over our health we declare it over our families in Jesus name somebody shout yes hallelujah you may be seated for just a few minutes don't chuckle I'm going to try to make it a few minutes I want to speak on the next transformative move of God. God is a God of purpose. And all of us who've been uh, a, a Christian, a believing Christian for a long time, we can attest, if we look back over our lives, we can see the hand of God in every one of our seasons of life. We can point to specific times in our childhood where we knew that God spoke to us or we had an experience with God that set us up for the next years that came. He, he led our path into a certain field of work 
that took us into the next. He connected us with people that would help build our foundation so that we would be prepared for the purpose that he had carved out of us. So God is a God of purpose, and he works through the chronos of our life. He will continue to do that. And I like to make markers in my life and say this was the day God spoke. This was the day things began to change. This was the day newness took place. But then there are also times when God works in specific moments, the kairos moments of time, where everything is right. The conditions are perfect to accomplish what God wants to accomplish on the earth. It comes because God's people are praying, but it mostly comes because God is a God of purpose, and he says, now is the time. I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase in the last week. And it's always been phrased with now is the time for the change in your ministry. Now is the time for the harvest. Now is the time for the fulfillment of prophecy. Can you say it with me in agreement? Now is the time. So when God begins to move, what is our portion in that? Because if God is moving... We have to respond to the move. So when God begins to move within a generation, you'll see all throughout Scripture that what he does is he finds one woman. He finds one man that he can get a hold of their heart and begin to build purpose in them. I want to talk about a few of those tonight. The first one, obviously, Abraham. He started out as Abram. God began to talk to him in the city of Ur, the Chaldees. It was a wealthy town. It was a, uh, it was a progressive town. History tells us that they had developed technology. And so there was a great civilization in that town. And it seemed crazy to everyone, maybe even including Abram, that God said to him, I want you to get up and leave. Everything that's familiar to you, everything that's comfortable to you, and I want you to go to a land that I'm leading you to. Now, it's interesting that we can observe that God was all, already stirring Abram's heart. He was speaking to him, but God did not give him all the specifics. This was a walk of faith. It was a walk where God was testing the heart of Abram to see, is he going to follow me? Is he going to be the one that carries out my purpose? The same with Moses. Moses had an interesting life up to the age of age 40. But when he was on the backside of the desert, having escaped Egypt after murdering a man, he became a shepherd, which was despised in Egypt. The Bible says that he was so broken that he was a man with a stuttering lip. 
He's out being a shepherd of the sheep. But one day, he beholds a strange sight. And the Bible said he turned aside. There was something in the turning aside, making time to pursue something he didn't understand, but he knew it wasn't of this world. He knew it wasn't the making of man, and God began to speak to him and stir his heart. Hannah. God used a woman named Hannah who was desperate, barren, wanted a child, but felt like God had denied her over and over and over again. But the angst in her natural spirit drove her to the house of God where she had a conversation with God. And that conversation began to change everything in her generation. You see, these might seem like isolated moments a random man in a strange town, a shepherd in the backside of the desert, a woman who couldn't have a baby. If you asked the question, was anything significant happening, you couldn't see it with the natural eye. But God was moving with the hearts of men and women. And what he was basically saying is, I'm seeing if you're ready to move with me. This is the time for change. This is the time I'm going to move. But I need a man. I need a woman who will represent me and what I want to do. You hearing me? We could go on and on. But as we look and, and analyze some of these people, there's a pattern in these moves of God, these Kairos moments. I want to read from Luke chapter 1, verses 13 through 17. I have to tell you, I preach out of this chapter more than any other chapter in the Bible. I think it was written for me. Because I never run out of material. Luke chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. But the angel said to him, that would be Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, meaning Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you want to study a period in history that I would say would be exemplary of how God uses, it's the time when Jesus was about to be birthed. The greatest move of God was about to happen on the face of the earth, and God began to intersect heaven and earth. There, be, there came manifestations of angels. People were getting a visitation from angels. People were being assigned to specific roles. 
God was speaking and calling forth their faith. He was assigning them to things that didn't feel comfortable. Are you hearing me? But he was targeting people that would have enough humility to say, God, I don't understand everything, but I'm available. Hallelujah. Now, with Zacharias, God had to uh, keep him quiet for a while because his first reaction is, how in the world? You know how old I am? You're going to answer my prayer now? I mean, I'm past the time, and have you seen Lizzie lately? <laughs> but I want you to remember something. Zacharias was the high priest of the house of Israel, but he was also the high priest of his household. And so whatever he spoke, there was authority in what he spoke. And until his mouth could line up with what God was saying, the Lord said, zip it. Because the angel said, this thing will surely come to pass. There's nothing that's going to stop this from happening. And there's a lesson for us. When God begins to move in our hearts and tell us he's going to use us and he begins to prophesy things that melt our spirit, we don't have to try to figure it out in our mind and we definitely shouldn't put our mouth to it until what we can say with confidence is, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I know he's going to do it and I know the time is now. Hallelujah. So God begins to speak, and when he speaks, what he's doing is putting a seed in the heart of man that begins to put something into motion. God is putting something into motion this weekend. You have gotten seed after seed after seed. Some of you have received, even if it was one point of one message, but God quickens something to you. And, and this is not where it stops, but this is where it's germinated. This is where it's watered. This is where we begin to put prayer behind it. This is where we begin to walk it out in our life. Because the first thing the enemy will do is come against you to try to abort the power of that seed. It's done with uh, uh, unbelief. And disobedience. And so we have to understand that when God has these moments in our life and tells us that something is coming, it is our duty to say, okay, God, show me what I need to do. Amen? Hallelujah. What did he say to Abram? And just take a couple notes on this. Abram, he said, I will make of you a great nation. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, when God first said that to Abram, it didn't happen. God said it over and over and over and over until he reached 100 years of age. And some of you have carried around seed in your belly for a long time. And all throughout your life, you've heard it over and over and over. And the longer you, you go through life and the older you get, the tendency is to think, well, maybe I heard wrong. Or maybe I did something to thwart 
that in my life. But I've come to assure you tonight, God never aborts his mission. The only one who can do it is us if we choose not to obey. So I want you to take out that seed and hold it up as an offering to the Lord and say, God, you've spoken this over my life so many times. And, Lord, I've tried to bury that seed. I haven't watered that seed. I haven't been faithful to that seed. I repent of, of even, Lord, not believing at some time. But, God, begin to set things into motion. You can water me, Lord God. This is supernatural seed. I call forth the harvest because now is the time. Hallelujah to Moses. He said, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. Moses said, no, 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 no. Not me. I'm the stutterer. Get Aaron. He knows how to talk. Anyway, what am I going to tell him? Who am I going to say sent me? And at that moment, God spoke a seed into Moses' spirit. I am that I am. It was the beginning of the relationship and the understanding of who the covenant-keeping God is. And he wouldn't fully understand it until God showed him how he was going to get his people out of Israel through the, the blood, through the sacrifice of the lamb. Hallelujah. <laughs> through the course of the Red Sea, through the trek up the mountain, when he carved out the commandments in stone, when he began to reveal the full covenant of what he wanted to do in a people on the earth, there was a process that was involved. But it began with a seed. And I want to make that clear to you tonight because that might seem like it's all you have in your life. I have things that have been spoken to me since the time I was young. And I've not yet seen them. But I've seen the progression toward them. When I don't understand how it's going to happen, I do know I can't make it happen. But I do know that every step I take in obedience to him, the more I see him unfold that plan, the more I see increase. And so if God has put a germ of seed in your spirit, consider your spirit to be a divine incubator. Hallelujah. And when you get up in the morning, you say, Lord, I'm carrying around your seed. Hallelujah. You gave me a word to stand on. You told me my kids were going to be saved. You told me, Lord, that I would be a, a, a prophet to the nations. You told me, Father, that I would see my city change. You told me I'd see signs and wonders, God. I call it forth in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit. Birth this thing through me. And then begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And that seed will begin to grow. To Gideon, God spoke a word. When his knees were banging one against the other, he was hiding from the enemy and he was questioning God. He said, go, mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor. Mighty man of valor, he didn't even believe in himself. 
And if I pass the microphone tonight, I don't think there'd be one person in this room that would say in your entire walk with Christ, you always felt like you measured up to the call in your life. You always felt fully equipped. You always felt smart enough, talented enough. No, the exact opposite is true. All through our lives, the enemy's trying to weaken our faith, cause us to doubt ourselves. That's why we've got to put our faith and trust in the Holy One. Hallelujah. What I can't do, he delights in doing through me. He picks up the least. Hallelujah. And he puts them on display. He is the one who takes the foolish things of this earth to confound the wise. I think this is important to hear. Sometime, the most important message we're going to hear, the most important word we're going to receive will be in the time of really tough circumstances. It's in the tough times that people start ratcheting up. They're listening, their spiritual ears, to hear God. I love to preach about Hannah because there was a turning point in her, her anxiety and her crying out. The, you know, when the Bible talks about her, it shows that she's in a classic depression. Not eating, her face is sad, her countenance is down. But her dearly beloved husband, well-meaning, Loved her, gave her a double portion of food, would do anything for her. He was getting tired of hearing her moaning. He didn't know what to do to console her, and so he said something that he thought was going to help. Honey, aren't I better to you than ten sons? But when Hannah heard those words, she said, you're not going to placate me. I know this desire is from the Lord. Now, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. But the Bible says, literally, she stood up. In the midst of her depression, she rose to her feet and she marched to the house of God. She was not giving up on that seed she was bearing. And she began to pray like she never prayed before, I believe. She was actually praying under the unction of the Holy Spirit because somewhere deep in that intercession, Hannah began to pray something she never prayed before. Lord, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. He'll serve you all the days of your life. God says, well, that's what I've been waiting for because I've got plans for your son. But I'm not going to take him from you. He's going to be an offering from you to me. And I'm going to raise up young Samuel. Yo, you read the first four chapters of 1 Samuel. It's an amazing story. I'm going to raise him up to be a prophet to the nation. And Samuel was used to turn the tide of a generation what am I trying to tell you? Sometimes in days like today, when everybody's getting hit with COVID and everyone we know has had somebody die from COVID, 
and, and we've been in some type of a collective depression. This is the time we lean into God and saying, Lord, you never intended for your people to die off. We're supposed to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We're blessed everywhere we go. And we begin to, to go into the heart of God and say, I need a word that's going to carry me through because COVID was the first test. But we're living in the days that things are going to grow darker and darker. And we need to be the people that know how to grow seed even in the dark. Hallelujah. Because when that seed comes forth, the light of the world is manifest to those that need him. Are you hearing me today? So God has a seed that he's bringing forth. And even in the time of destitution, I love the story of Ruth. Because if you look at chapter 1, it's all doom and gloom. Who died? Who's got a famine? Who's not eating? Who's in a foreign land? But there's one word of hope that Naomi heard that God was blessing his people back in Bethlehem. And it was the time of barley harvest. And when she heard God's blessing his people, she said, I'm getting out of here. I'm going home. I'm moving toward God. You see, this is what God wants to do in us. He wants us to be a people that he stimulates us to the move of God, moving toward where he's blessing his people. And I believe with all of my heart, this house here in Bryan, this is going to be a house that's like a well for thirsty people, that people are going to come through and drink and know the presence of God. They're going to run toward this house. That's why we have to be people who are praying and interceding and taking the words that are spoken over this house and bringing them before the Lord. Hallelujah. Number two, when God begins to move upon men and women, the second part of it is that the men and women begin to move. He's not just talking to us to make us feel good, but he's asking us to do something. And every type of movement, whether it's the still small voice or the burning bush or supernatural events that took place throughout history, God asked men and women that loved him to step out of their comfort zones and do something that took courage. He asked Noah to build an ark. What's an ark? He asked Abram to leave his hometown and family. Moses had to confront Pharaoh. David had to kill a giant with a slingshot. Caleb was sent to take a mountain and all the armies on it. There are things that God may ask us to do that seems like we are powerless to do in our own strength. But when God wants to accomplish something on the earth, he may ask you to do something that doesn't make sense to your mother or father. When we, um, it was 2020, we were scheduled 
to hold a massive crusade in, in Costa Rica in March. We were literally almost on the runway. I had a team of people going with me. We had sent tens of thousands of dollars to get everything ready. The service was coming up, and our president came out and said, I'm stopping all international travel into this country. So I thought, well, are we going to be able to get back? And then the next day, Costa Rica says, we're stopping all international traffic into our country. I called the guy that set up the crusade, and I said, Jaime, can I get in by myself? He said, let me check. He said, Don, it's not the right time. They're shutting down every event outside, indoors. Churches can't hold meetings. I tried every way I could to fulfill, but the timing wasn't right. Last year, 2021, February, I got a call from Jaime. Jaime said, now's the time. Come down now. I said, right now? He said, right now. I said, well, let me get a plane ticket. He said, now I'm going to tell you something. This will be the first time the people are back in church. You can't have a big crusade, but I can take you to five or six different churches, and you'll have between 300 and 500 people in each venue. I said, I'm coming. I said, it's in the same area where we're going to have the crusade? He said, yes. So I got on the plane and headed down. And the Lord began to speak to me about a message to speak to the pastors. And it was a message about the prodigals coming home. And it was a message about what God wants to do in this generation, but how the parents and the pastors are areas of repentance that need to take place. I'm just giving you the general point. And as I began to preach to those pastors the, the main pastor who invited us, he was weeping and crying. And I'm thinking, God, did I preach the wrong message? And then Jaime and his wife, you know, my lifelong friends and my coordinator, they're bawling and squalling their face on the floor. I didn't know what in the world was going on. I just delivered a message. But afterwards, I said, Jaime, what in the world? He said, Donna, you don't know this. We don't talk about it. But our son, who was raised in the church, made a wrong choice. He married a witch. And he said his life is a shambles, and he's living in, completely in the world. He just got a divorce. He's far away from God. But when you began to preach, conviction came all over us. And he said we cried out to God for mercy. Well, we went to the next town, and there were things that God did in every situation. There were miracles that took place, people that came back to the Lord. But the third night was a challenging night. We were scheduled to be in a bull ring. And that night, the heavens opened, and the deluge came down. It was raining and pouring, and was hard to get to the venue. When we got there, the police were standing at the gate, trying to keep the people from coming in because of COVID. So Jaime told me, go in, stand in front of the microphone, just start preaching. And he said, I'm going to deal with this. So he called the mayor, who's a born-again Christian whom he knew, 
she got out of her bed in her pajamas and came down to the venue and told the police to back off. We're going to have a crusade. So all this is going on, all this warfare. And while I'm standing preaching, it was dark. Their lights weren't very bright. There were people all over this huge bull ring. And I'm preaching a salvation message. And in walks Jaime's son. He had driven three hours in the rain to get to the bull ring because he heard I was there. And I knew he was there. And as I was preaching, I was preaching a clear salvation message, but I felt a direct line going backwards to where he was. I felt the Spirit of God dealing with him. I didn't even look at him. But when that service was done, he was on his face crying out to God. The next morning I saw Jaime and Helen. They said, we tried to get him a hotel room, but he wanted to stay with us all night. We were up all night. He was repenting to us. We were praying with him. And this morning he was praying in the Holy Ghost. There was breakthrough. Hallelujah. Now here's what I want to tell you. I had a different agenda. I wanted to touch thousands of people. I wanted to see outstanding miracles. And one of the men on my board who, who's a prophet of God, he called me before I left. He said, now, Don, I want to tell you something right now. He said, you're not going to see a whole lot of miracles. There'll be some. He said, you're not going to see a whole lot of salvations. There'll be some. But your mission on this trip is to plant a seed. But when you plant that seed, you're going to plant it for the greatest harvest Costa Rica has ever seen. Well, I didn't understand what he meant. I was going after souls. I was going after miracles. You know, I finally got out of my pen. I'm going to Costa Rica. But my interpreter, she was a young woman. While I was preaching that message, tears were coming down her face. And she told me, she says, I go to churches all over this country in a mainline denomination. And she said, I have to tell you, everywhere I go, 70% of the young people in their churches don't come to church anymore. It's a prodigal generation. And she said to me, do you mind if I preach this when I go to those churches? I said, please do. It's a message of, that the Lord wants to bring. Jaime said, he didn't even ask me. I got ministers meeting coming up. I'm preaching this message. This is what we needed to hear. You see, God put a seed in my spirit. There was a window of time that I had to act. And, and so when I went home after four days on Monday, Jaime calls me. He said, you're not going to believe this. They just shut down the country again. The day after I left. Opened it up the day before I got there. Shut it down the day after I left. This is what I'm talking about. God has moments in time that you are assigned to, but you can't look at the wind. You can't look at the, of the storm. You've got to be in tune with the voice of God and say, Lord, wherever you send me, that's where I'm going. I'll move when you say move. I'll say what you say, say, and you do the rest, Lord. Hallelujah. A window in time. But I believe we've got a bigger window opening up. And it's for this generation. 
and you have a part in it. How is the power of God released in a generation? It's released through prayer and obedience. And I could talk a lot on that, but I'm not going to. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 8. And this is really closest to what I believe God's getting ready to do again. It was a time of the diaspora. It was the time of persecution. The people of God were being spread all around the world because they had to flee. The church of Jerusalem was being persecuted. The apostles, we know, eventually were martyred. Stephen was killed. But in verse 4, there's a man named Philip, a man who was a deacon. And you know the story, but let's read it. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. To me, that is the most concise view of revival we ever want to have. But the man that God chose to be the impetus for that revival was a deacon, wasn't an apostle. In fact, you'll read later on in that chapter that he called for Peter and James to come and get everybody baptized in the Holy Ghost. But all he did was preach Jesus, and God demonstrated what Jesus does. Demons began to scream. But when did it happen? When he moved. When he was dispersed. And I believe that we're coming into a time when the word of God, the pressure's coming down so that we're going to have to get out in the streets and deal with the stuff. But we have to understand if we're baptized in the Holy Ghost, we carry the word seed in on in us. All we have to do is stand up, hallelujah, keep praying, keep obeying, open our mouths, let God fill it, and watch what God's going to do. Amen. In the small towns and villages and all around the world. Last year I was praying because I've listened to so many Preachers talk about the last day harvest and how it's going to be nothing like what we've seen before. I mean, I've seen quite a bit. I've seen quite a bit of revival. There's been patches here and there. But I've never seen the kind that I've really been hungry to see. And that's that transformative revival where you know, the bars are shut down. And, and people fall on their face when the man or woman of God walks by, where, where the communities are changed. The people know if you go to that city, you'll find God there. When the fear of God begins to reign, that's what I want to see. I've seen enough hoopla in my life to make me tired of hoopla. You know what I mean? 
So I asked the Lord. I said, what's it going to look like, God? I had been praying about a week, and all of a sudden in my spirit comes up these words. It's going to be a mash unit. I said, what? And I, he brought me back to the TV program, MASH. And they were a hospital that was set up in a war zone. And they were doing emergency surgery to bring healing. And the Lord began to show me that in the last day, this is the kind of work that we're going to be doing. They're going to be MASH units throughout the earth. Some of them are going to have a centralized location like a church, but it's not going to look like the way church has looked because people are going to come in ready to kill themselves, bleeding, depressed, full of the devil, and they're looking for emergency surgery. And God is getting his people in the place where it's not the pastor's job to lay hands on everybody, but when they walk in the building, God's people will say, uh-uh, that devil's not coming here. It's got to go in the name of Jesus. The healing power of God flows so strongly in that place that when people hit the atmosphere, tumors begin to melt and blind eyes come open. This is where God wants to get us. But there will also be mobile mass units. This was God was speaking to me. He said, that's what the tent is about, Donna. But he said, when you put a tent up, it's not going to be like what your dad did. You're not having church outside. It's not about having religion under a tent. But when you put that tent up, that's going to be known for where the power of God is. That when people come there, they come to get an answer from God and that they leave changed. And so God is getting us into a position. You say, what was this COVID about? What was this pestilence about? Was this a punishment from God? No. The word of God says that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And the only things that will be remain will be the things that God has instituted. And so when you see the shaking going on, that's when we say, God, I thank you that my faith is in the solid rock named Jesus. And the earth under my feet won't be shaken because I am one of the warriors that's going to Declare the name of Jesus and see people come to know him. Hallelujah. I've come to mobilize you this weekend. I've come to light a fire under you. I've come to tell you, don't expect church as usual. I've come to tell you the days when the pastor and the worship leader have to be spiritual cheerleaders, they're gone. We've got to learn how to change the atmosphere in our homes, in our bedrooms, on the on telephone when we're talking to people. We've got to learn how to say that's a lie from the pit of hell. I don't agree with that. Jesus is at work. The Holy Spirit's on the move. If you'll come here, I'll lay my holy hands on you. we got to be bold. 
God's raising up a generation of people like Philip. Now, you know the rest of the story, right? So you see he's done with the revival in Samaria. He's got to go see the eunuch, right? Somebody had been studying the word, didn't understand it all. He needed somebody to interpret for him. He needed a Philip. And he left the huge crowd to go to the one who needed an answer. This is part of the way that God is going to work in his church, that we don't get stuck in a religious rut. But we know how to pivot on a dime. We know how to go where God sends us. And I can tell you, if I've had experience in ministry, that I've learned anything. I know this. If I go somewhere just because somebody asked me to come, I can have a nice service. People can say, oh, that was amazing. You blessed me. I can go home saying, that's not enough, Lord. But when God says go, and when the miracles start happening, even in the light of resistance, that's when it's the most fulfilling work on the face of the earth. I'm going to tell you one more brief story, then I'm going to lay hands on you. 2016 was a monumental year in the life of Shambach ministry. That's when Sid Roth asked me to come on the program. The book Anointing for Miracles came out. God began to speak to me. There was a man in Moravian Falls, Virginia. I wish I could remember his name. He invited me to come preach under a tent because he heard Shambach. He said, I'm going to put a tent up. I want a Shambach under my tent. Made perfect sense until I got there. And he had a circus tent up, a little pup tent in the middle of the woods. I mean, it might have held 250 people. But it had, you know, it had like the Ringling Brothers flaps on it. And then he was one into all the Israel stuff. So he had the Israel stuff over the pulpit and, and, can I just say it plainly? Everybody in the audience was white. So when I stepped under that tent, there was nothing I could relate to other than the tent was made out of canvas. Because my dad put the tents up in the inner city. We, we preached to people who, of all different colors. There was massive amounts of people under the tent, right? It was a professional job. And when I walked under that tent, I'm like, what in the world am I doing here, Lord? And I I must have walked 15 steps, and I sat down in the chair. And I said, oh, no, you're not. Oh, no. As soon as I sat down, I had the sense, I'm bringing you back to the tent. Uh Uh-uh, not me. No, sir. I'm done with it. I don't have a tent crew, God. I don't have the money or the budget for a tent. No, I'm not going to do it. I went from there. Uh, to do the Sid Roth show, and Sid called me to talk to me about the show a little bit beforehand. And while we're talking, all of a sudden he says, by the way, Donna, do you do tents? Now, I I hadn't talked to Sid very much, and I said, why are you asking me that right now? He said, I don't know. It just came up in my spirit. I said, hmm, no, I haven't done them since my dad. And then in the same town was the Billy Graham Library. 
And somebody arranged for me to have a private tour, and I'm bawling my eyes out through the whole thing. Have you ever been there? If you've ever not been there, go. If you love evangelism, you got to go. I mean, you love souls. You'll get so stoked for souls after going through that. I mean, I was weeping through the whole thing. Well, I was about three-quarters of the way through, and out from the back comes Billy Grant's tent coordinator, the guy that sent up all of his crusades. He gives me his card if you ever need anything. He said, I'll be glad to help you. And I said, I got one question for you, and you got five minutes to answer. What do you think about tents? He said, I believe in them. I said, in this day and age? He said, absolutely. I said, I thought tents were done with. I mean, we, we had a, such a hard time finding a lot in the inner city. He said, you're right. Ten years ago, that's what was happening. But God's doing something new. He said, right here in Charlotte, a Baptist church put up a tent, and there's been 2,500 people a night under that tent. And he said, the Holy Spirit is moving in such a way that altars are filled with people crying out to God. And so at that point, I shut my mouth. And I said, okay, the questions are over. God, if you want me to do a tent, then we'll do it. Well, fast forward to August. Okay, that I tell this story? Fast forward to August, and I'm on Twitter, and a friend of mine says, Church, I can't stand what's happening in Chicago right now. All this killing. It was one of the worst years that Chicago had. All this killing, all this gang warfare. Where are we, church? And like a crazy woman, I typed into the World Wide Web, let's take a 10 in. And I was like, what? Shut up, Donna. And he said, let's do it. If you go, I'm going with you. And then I backpedaled. Well, you know, if we go in, we're going to need, you know, we're going to have to have an alderman, we're going to have to have police, and we're going to have to have pastor supporters. We have to. I went through the list. And while I'm saying it out loud, God brought to mind a friend of mine on Instagram that I did not know who worked in the inner city of Chicago. And so I private messaged him. I said, I'm kind of sort of testing the waters that just may be someday. God may want me to put a tent up in Chicago. He says, oh, my goodness. Thank God it's not me. <laughs> he said, three years ago, God spoke to me that I was going to be in with the tent crusade, and I thought it was me because my daddy used to do tent meetings. Thank God it's you. Like, yeah, hallelujah. I said, but listen, I was, I'm going to need this, and I'm going to need that. He said, I know all those people. And so I put it to the test, and five months later, he had me in a room with a police officer who was the chaplain of the Chicago police force with three bishops with a local alderman he had them all lined up and by the I mean I told him straight I don't have a tent I don't have a tent crew I don't know where I'm going I don't have a lot God just said Chicago tent and I mean that doesn't that's not very much confidence building is it like here's the plan <laughs> and every one of those bishops said we'll get behind it we're on board. This is God. 
Well, it took about two years later to finally get that tent up. And I could tell you story after story of how the enemy fought us. Oh, I've got to tell you this part. Yeah. I was just about to give up. And my pastor friend said, there's a ward, Ward 15. It's in West Englewood, the worst neighborhood in Chicago. And the alderman is crying out for help. And I believe the tent meeting is what God will use to bring some of those pastors out of their, their building. But he said, I got to tell you something. You got to be prepared. This alderman is not a Christian. He is a homosexual. And he's married to a man. And in my heart, I said, I am not going to be working a tent meeting with anybody who's, you know, got an unclean spirit on him. The Lord said, Go. And I went and I met with the man, and I could feel every demon spirit on him. But he said something to me that got my attention. He said, I have 14-year-old kids in my ward that are shooting each other. He said, I've been trying to get the pastors of this neighborhood out on the street to deal with it. I can't get one of them to come to a meeting. I need an event. I know you put a tent up. It's my first one. He said, I know you put a tent up. He said, I'm inviting you to come to Ward 15, and I will shut down the streets for 10 days. I'll shut them down. Long story short, God sent us to Chicago in Ward 15, and he said his angels with us. God took us to a place I didn't want to go. He, we put up a tent that I didn't own. <laughs> And God sent workers, street people that would minister. Pastors came in. Musicians came in. Their speakers volunteered their time. He put the meeting together. But God was, was I believe he was testing my heart. If I drop tent in your heart, will you say, yes, Lord? Will you trust me? Will you help me be able to do that? And so this is what I'm trying to say to you. We might not feel equipped we not, might not feel as though we've heard God correctly, but if we just keep walking, if we just keep obeying, God will take that word seed in us and get a great harvest. How many of you sitting here today, you say, Donna, years ago, God gave me a word seed, a word seed of promise, something that he told me that was going to happen in my life, and I have not yet seen the fruit of that. If, if that's you, would you lift your hand? Oh, my Lord. I got my hand up, too. That's most of you. Well, I've come to water that seed tonight, pour some oil on it. Do you dare believe that it can still happen? Here's what I want to do. And we've prayed individually for people. We've prayed for needs. I believe people have already begun to be healed. Some have already manifest. Lady said when I slapped her on the, the hands the other day, she started speaking in tongues. Yeah, you know, God's doing stuff. But tonight I want to lay hands on your head. And this is what I want to do. I want you to come through what I call a firewall. Are you used to them here? fire tunnel, whatever. But here's the way I like to do it. 
I'd like you to form a line to my left, to your right, and first person to come stand in front of me. When I begin to lay my hands on people, anybody who's serving in that fire tunnel, I don't want you to lay hands on people. I would like you to let me do that. You can stand and intercede and pray, but the reason is I don't want anything slowing down the flow. When that line begins to move, there's something that happens in the Holy Ghost. There's a momentum that begins to happen. The anointing begins to flow. And sometimes we can stop it up by putting our hand to it. I don't know how to explain it other than that. But what I want you to do is help me. If somebody gets overwhelmed in the spirit or they, they stand still, just gently pull them through and let them go shout in the corner. But I'm just looking for the next head to hit. But I'm going to ask the Lord to give you an impartation for this last day harvest. You're going to be part of the mass units that he's raising up. He's going to germinate that seed within you. He's going to give you the conviction that now is the time. There's going to be a double portion of the Holy Spirit that comes into your person. That's what I believe. How many of you believe with me? So stand to your feet and go and form the line. Gentlemen, you can do what you do here, and I'm going to drop the mic in a few minutes. Not literally. Come, form a straight line. Come stand in front of me and face that wall. Yes, please. Can I ask you to come model? You know, like we do in kindergarten, face the wall. Come line up behind this lady, single file. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the correct posture for when I'm anointing you with oil. When you come and stand in front of me, lift your hands to the Lord. That gives me operating room. I can get your head. I can get your belly, okay? I'm going to release something in you tonight. I want you to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. We're going to release something as I pray. So would you start doing that even now? That's it. Ila barosi ashura manduro koro. That's it. God's crowning the weekend. He's releasing something, imparting something. Spirit of God, I pray that as I lay my hands on each individual, that there will be an ignition a Holy Ghost ignition to the seed they bear, God. And I pray for that fresh season to come. As they've walked through the storm and have kept on walking, Lord, I thank you that that season of freshness, that season of productivity, it's coming. I declare many people will give their hearts to the Lord. I call young people back to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you're laying hands on young men and young women, raising them up to preach the gospel and to declare who Jesus is. I thank you for a double portion of the Holy Spirit, God, with power and might. And I ask you, Father, that the river of God will be released to flow as it's never flowed before. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Or visit www dot equipping church dot us